All right, well, good morning, ABF. It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, I wanted to start just by noting that uh, almost exactly a year ago, I attended ABF for the very first time. So um, this is kind of special to me. And uh, to anyone who's new out there, be ready for a sermon in a year's time. You're going to have to come up here just like me. Um, since coming to EBF, as John said, I've gotten plugged into um, various things at EBF. Um, I got plugged into an ethos group. I've become familiar with the elders. I'm even a member now. Um, and uh, I made a lot of friends along the way. And so I've just been really blessed by EBF. And uh, I hope that what I say here can serve as a blessing in return. Um, now, before I go into our passage, I want to ask two questions. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the first question, and then I'm going to give us an opportunity to silently reflect on an answer. And then I'm going to ask the second question and give us an opportunity to silently reflect on the answer. Um, so just so it's clear, first question, silent reflection. Second question, silent reflection. And then I'll open us up in some prayer. So the first question is, what are you committed to? What are you committed to? And the second question is, what motivates and guides this commitment? What motivates and guides this commitment of yours? Lord, help us remain committed to you. Help us do that through the means that you've appointed for us by obedience to your word. Father, I ask that you would give each of us a mind and a heart to receive your word this morning. And Spirit, please bring it about that each of us is better off for having come here. Please bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage is 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, and you may want to turn there now in your Bibles. Um, that's 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. And uh, before we read our passages, I just want to flag at the outset that our passage concerns one of our core commitments as Christians and the basis for that commitment. Now, by a basis, I just mean whatever motivates and guides a commitment. So the word ba basis just abbreviates that. I'm going to use these interchangeably. So again, our passage concerns one of our core commitments as Christians and the basis for that commitment. Let's see if you can spot it. So please stand for the reading of 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. Our passage reads, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And now from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You may be seated. Now, one of the main points of this passage is a command, and that command is be committed to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures. I'll say it again. Be committed to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures. And you'll see shortly why I say this once we get into the passage. But notice um, a feature of what I just said. Notice that the command to be committed to Christ by sticking to the, script to the Scriptures, it has both one of our core commitments as Christians— namely to be committed to Christ, and it also references the basis, Scripture. And our 
text also gives us the reason for this command. It tells us why we should be committed to Christ by sticking to the scriptures in particular. And it's because they are inspired by God and they are profitable. Because they're inspired by God and they're profitable. That's why you should stick to your commitment to Christ, or rather, that's why you should be committed to Christ by sticking to the scriptures. Now, our passage begins by giving us the command to be committed to Christ by sticking to the scriptures. Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15. It reads, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, in light of the broader context, it makes total sense that Paul would be saying this to Timothy. Just think about some, uh, just think of a few points here that summarize what we've already covered in 2 Timothy. Paul exhorts Timothy to continue as a strong leader for his Christian community. He urges him to to be ready to suffer for the gospel while remaining grounded in Paul's teaching. Paul also tells Timothy to remind his community to persevere so as to avoid the consequences of rejecting Christ. And Paul then explains that in the last days there will be a time of difficulty. False teachers will tempt the Christian community to follow them and they will make life hard for those who don't. There's an emphasis here in the broader context. It goes something like, Timothy, you and your Christian community, be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to resist false teachers as you remain steadfast in sound teaching. So what verses 14 to 15 give us is an answer to a question that I think Paul is anticipating that Timothy has. And that question is, well, how am I to continue? Timothy needs to be prepared to suffer, to resist false teachers, to remain steadfast in sound teaching. So naturally, Timothy would ask, well, how do I do that? So our context sets us up with the question, how am I to continue? And these verses, 14 and 15, they give us the answer. But first, Paul explains exactly what Timothy needs to continue in. Uh, He says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Now, presumably, Paul is referring to his own model for Timothy and to sound doctrine. And this makes sense when you just look back at verse 10 in the chapter, where he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and so on. So Paul's saying to Timothy, uh, stick to what I've taught you and to my example. And if we think about the epistles, or the Pauline epistles, rather, and the book of Acts, we know that the chief aim of Paul's ministry, everything he's about, is to get people to follow Jesus, to be committed to Christ. So we can abstract the more general command I mentioned earlier from this text to be committed to Christ. So be committed to Christ. And then Paul gets into the details about how to be committed to Christ. He answers the question, how do I continue in my commitment to Christ? Paul tells Timothy to continue in his commitment to Christ by knowing from whom he learned it. And here Paul has himself in mind and Timothy's grandmother and mother. And this is especially clear once we get to the part that reads, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. So the sacred writings more than likely refer to the Old Testament, and so if Timothy was acquainted with these from his youth, it's because of the influence of his Jewish grandmother and mother. And we know that they're Jewish from the book of Acts. Now, you might wonder, why is Paul singling these people out in particular? What's so special about them? And the answer, given the emphasis of the passage as a whole, has to be that Paul is singling them out because they themselves are rooted in Scripture. The Old Testament writings are the sources for their integrity and their credibility. 
That's why Paul singles them out. We see then that the Old Testament, the Old Testament writings, that's what's really pulling the weight here in the passage uh, so far. Or think of it like this. Would Paul commend to Timothy somebody who wasn't written in the Scriptures? Well, given everything we know about Paul, not very likely. I, I think Scripture is what's really pulling the weight here, or rather the Old Testament writings. Now, don't get me wrong, the examples from Timothy's life, they matter, and I'm going to say a little bit more about them later, Uh, but we shouldn't miss that the Old Testament writings are what Paul is getting at in answer to our question, how am I to continue in my commitment to Christ? And that answer so far is that Timothy is to continue in his commitment to Christ by knowing the Old Testament writings and other people insofar as they are rooted in the Old Testament but then uh, Paul goes on to further describe the Old Testament writings with the comment, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here Paul is emphasizing the importance of having faith in Jesus in addition to merely knowing the sacred writings. And this is a remarkably appropriate thing for Paul to emphasize. I mean, just consider some of the things that Jesus said about his own word here. Jesus in John 5.39 says to his Jewish listeners, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. You refuse to come to me to have life. The Old Testament writings, they're going to do the work for Timothy in so far as he is rooted in Christ too. And in fact, Jesus' high regard for his own word, that's the very reason that we can take our passage as having import for both the Old Testament and the New Testament. One thing you might be asking yourself is, well, if this passage is all about the Old Testament writings, well, what, what do we think about the New Testament writings? Um, now, I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritty details here about canonicity and inspiration, but I think it's worth bearing in mind three key points uh, related to this issue of uh, the New Testament as Scripture. And I'll just, I'll say these three key facts, I'll, I'll mention them, and I'll even repeat them so that they're clear. So, the first one is just that Jesus talks about his own teaching as though it's on a par with the Old Testament. And the New Testament is the most reliable source for that teaching. I'll say that again. Jesus talks about his own teaching as though it's on a par with the Old Testament, and the New Testament is the most reliable source of that teaching. The second key fact Jesus appointed the apostles to carry out his ministry with the very same authority. And that ministry is most reliably given expression in the New Testament. Jesus appointed the apostles to carry out his ministry with the very same authority. And that ministry is most reliably given expression in the New Testament. And finally, in their own writings, the apostles, they claim that their words are inspired and they even refer to each other's writings as scripture. The apostles claim that their own writings are inspired and they refer to each other's writings as Scripture. Now, when it comes to giving the cumulative case for um, concluding that the New Testament is canon and is inspired, these three points, they're far from exhaustive. Um, But I think they're good to keep in mind. And as an aside, if any of you are interested in learning more about um, the inspiration of Scripture and canonicity, um, talk to one of the elders, talk to one of the pastoral apprentices. You can even talk to me um, if you want. Um, I won't push anyone away. So, yeah, um, talk to us. We'd love to be a resource for you and to recommend resources. But back to the main point of verses 14 to 15. We see now the full answer Paul is giving to the question, how am I to continue in my commitment to Christ? And Paul is telling Timothy to continue in his commitment to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures. Continue in your commitment to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures. 
As I was preparing this sermon, I looked through some studies on commitment with the hope of pulling together some quotes to illustrate a point. And some of what I found doesn't paint my own generation, the millennials, in a particularly positive light. Now, this isn't going to be an extended exercise in millennial bashing. I mean, I'm a millennial, so that would be kind of weird if I was just bashing my own people that much. Thing is, I just feel more comfortable speaking critically of my own generation rather than others, though I will indirectly say something critical about others. <laughs> so um, cons consider this quote here. The millennial generation is forging a distinctive path into adulthood, now ranging in age from 18 to 33. You can see it's a little bit dated. Now ranging in age from 18 to 33, they are relatively unattached to organized politics and religion. Linked by social media, burdened by debt, distrustful of people, in no rush to marry, and optimistic about the future. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a weird mixture of qualities, but I definitely know people who meet this description. <laughs> um, but notice the two phrases that relate to commitment in this quote. The authors say that millennials are unattached to politics and religion, and in no rush to marry. Basically, millennials aren't inclined to commit to a political party, religious group, or a marriage, and this actually distinguishes them. Past generations are more inclined to do this. Now, I should be fair, um, the stats don't paint generations ahead of me in a positive light either. The, the main point is just that there's a pervasive struggle to make and stick to commitments. We struggle to make and stick to commitments. And one of the likely reasons for this is general. Sticking to a commitment can be really difficult from the commitments we make in our work and the commitments we make in our relationships. Um, we all know that keeping a commitment can be very hard. As a PhD student, I periodically uh, deal with the question, why did I commit to five more years of school? And I'm sure that many grad students in here can relate uh, to this experience of asking this question. Um, I ask this question when I have self-doubt, and I reflect on the other ways I could be using my time. Um, sometimes I think I could be doing something more noble. I mean, really, I spend a lot of time in a room reading and writing, and uh, I wonder, is anyone really better off because of this? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't be doing this. Um, at least ultimately. <laughs> Long-term, people will be better off. Um, and you know, it's not just my self-doubt that um, makes me go into like this mini, enter this mini-crisis state. Um, sometimes just what other people say can make all the difference. I'm sure, again, many of you grad students can relate to somebody saying to you, you must really love school. Right? You must really love school. I hear that and I'm so discouraged. I mean, I really do love school, but I'm still discouraged by hearing this because people are implying that I'm wasting my time. In these moments, I experience a temptation to do something else with my time and to let go of my commitment to, a, uh, uh, commitment to being a PhD student. But then I remember why I decided to pursue a PhD. My, my, my commitment has a basis. And when I reflect on that basis, when I reflect on this basis for my commitment, it's easy for me to answer the question, why am I still in school? And it's easier to resist the temptation to throw in the towel and just quit. I have good reasons for what I'm doing, and those reasons, when I keep them firmly fixed in my mind, they can be very motivating. And maybe a different sort of example illustrates this point for you. Maybe you can relate to being married or being in a relationship and asking yourself the question, why am I dating her? Or, I married him? Yeah, that's not really a question. It's like sort of rhetorical, but like, why did I marry him? If you have a good basis for these commitments, dwelling on them can be extremely motivating. They can help you pull through. And you definitely have a good basis for your commitment if you're married. You made a covenant before God. That's an excellent reason to pull through. 
In our passage, we see that Paul is using this same method to motivate Timothy that I've just been illustrating. Paul is urging Timothy to focus on the basis for his commitment. He's telling Timothy, focus on the basis for your commitment. Now, what's the basis for his commitment? Well, remember, Paul's telling Timothy to stick to the Scriptures. He's telling him to continue his commitment to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures. So, EBF, are there pressures in your life that threaten your commitment to Christ? Timothy had to deal with false teachers that were upsetting the early church, and that might not be what we're dealing with. But I would bet a lot of money that there are misleading forces in our lives that compete with Christ for our devotion. Know the basis of your commitment to Christ. Go to the Scriptures. Go to the Scriptures. Maybe it's hard to have integrity in your work because by cutting corners, you can progress professionally. Or maybe, in keeping with my earlier example, you're really sick of your marriage and you just want to throw in the towel. Or maybe you're dealing with something different altogether. Maybe you've been wronged and you're the victim and you're having a hard time forgiving somebody. If you want to stick to your commitment to Jesus, you have to obey his commands, and those commands are outlined in the Scriptures. You will stick to the Scriptures if you work as though you're working for Christ, having integrity in your work. Jesus certainly wants you to fight for your marriage and not get divorced. And he definitely wants you to forgive others as God has forgiven you. That's one of the main emphases in the Gospels. The basis for these teachings, the Bible, that's the guide for your commitment to Christ. But now, returning to our text in verses 16 to 17, Paul tells Timothy what's so great about Scripture. He gives Timothy the reason for relying on Scripture in his commitment to Christ. Why Scripture in particular? Well, let's look at verses 16 to 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So why should Timothy be committed to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures? Well, the answer is that Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. Again, the driving interpretive question for verses 16 to 17, it's why treat Scripture as the basis for a commitment to Christ? Why should I continue my commitment to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures? Why not something else? And the answer is that Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. Let's look more closely at verses 16 to 17, starting with the phrase, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Other translations say God-breathed or inspired. And here, um, Paul isn't really offering Timothy a theory of inspiration. He's not telling him about the how of inspiration. So questions like, how do I reconcile the freedom and autonomy of the author with God's sovereignty? Like, those questions, they're beside the point. They're not in the purview of the passage. I like those questions, but that's just not what Paul is really addressing here. Similarly, he's not addressing the question, well, did God just appear and dictate to the author what to write? That's not in the purview of the passage. When Paul says that Scripture is God-breathed, he's actually echoing a tradition within Judaism. And I think 2 Peter 1.21 nicely captures it. In 2 Peter 1.21, we read, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The key point is that Scripture is a uniquely appointed divine message for humanity. And God chose to deliver this message to human authors. That's the main point. And so we have the first uh, part of our answer to the question, why should I continue my commitment to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures? And the first part of that answer is that all Scripture is breathed out by God, or all of it is inspired. 
But then Paul gets to the second part of the answer. Paul tells Timothy that Scripture is profitable. And no doubt this relates to the fact that Scripture is inspired by God. God's words are profitable and that they're useful. They're especially useful for Timothy's purposes. Just, just think about it. Paul says that Scripture is profitable for teaching, and that's one of Timothy's primary responsibilities. Notice some of Paul's remarks in 1 Timothy about, about that matter. He says, If you put these things before the elders, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. He also says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And he says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, this point about saving himself and his hearers, um, it's kind of appropriate given that Paul also says that Scripture is profitable for reproof, or to use a different word, uh, rebu- uh, rebuke. It's Timothy's job to expose what the false teachers are saying, so it's especially useful if uh, the Scriptures help him rebuke. Paul then says that Scripture is profitable for correction and training in righteousness. Now, while these relate to reproof and teaching, commentators note that the difference lies in the more practical connotation. Correcting is like rebuking, and training in righteousness is like teaching, but both correction and training in righteousness have more to do with behavioral change than teaching and reproof, which you can think of as just a little bit more cognitive. So Scripture teaches and reproves, leading to a properly formed mind, and Scripture corrects and trains in righteousness, leading to morally excellent behavior. It's no wonder then that Paul tells Timothy that a result of his proper use of the Scriptures is that he'll be complete and equipped for every good work. Scripture prepares us for good works in this world by putting both our minds and our actions in right order. I'll say that again. Scripture prepares us for good works in this world by putting both our minds and our actions in right order. How fitting then for Jesus to pray for his disciples in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And notice something else. The fact that Scripture does this to us, that it prepares us for good works, it further explains Paul's earlier reference to himself and to Timothy's grandmother and mother. They are good examples for Timothy because they have experienced the results of Scripture. Timothy is being charged to take notice of that and to acquire those same results. So here's where we've come. Our text encourages us to continue in our commitment to Christ by knowing the basis of that commitment, namely Scripture. Why is this the way to continue? Well, because Scripture is inspired and it's profitable. Continue in your commitment to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures. Why? Well, because Scripture is inspired and it's profitable. I hope the, hope the point is registering. I've said it over and over again. I, I myself am tired of saying it, but I was told to be repetitive, and I just hope this really sticks. Be committed to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures. They're inspired and profitable. Now, a question that stirs me when I read verses 16 to 17 is whether the results of Scripture are clear in my own life. I'm sure that resonates with many of you. Are you equipped for every good work? And can others look to you as someone from whom they learned and firmly believed? I get the impression that we don't take seriously enough the fact that Scripture is inspired by God. And let's not miss the fact that Paul says all Scripture is inspired by God. It's not just those parts of Scripture that you fancy. It's not just the parts of Scripture that make your heart warm. Even the dirty laundry in Scripture, the stuff you regard as dirty laundry, that's inspired by God. So the real question for us is, do we take seriously enough the fact that all Scripture is inspired by God? 
One way to gauge how seriously we take God's word is by reflecting on how we spend our time. I'm really into sports. I play basketball. That might seem surprising to people given my stature. Um, you might be asking, doesn't he just get blocked all the time? And the answer is yes. That's why I shoot from the outside. Um, so yeah, I really love playing basketball, and I follow basketball um, in the NBA and in college ball, and I'm kind of a stats junkie. Um, I consume a lot of sports media, not, not even just basketball, but other sports media. Um, now, you might relate to my love for sports, but it could be that in the same way that I devote a decent of my time to sports, you devote your time but to something else. I know that my brothers are really into news and politics. Maybe that's you. I personally find it exhausting to think about the process of staying current in politics. Um, you have to sort through articles. You can't just settle for the headlines. You actually have to read the article, maybe even fact check it so that you're forming opinions that don't just amount to mere opinion but also knowledge. I mean, maybe political knowledge sounds like a contradiction in terms to you, but um, if you really want to be um, responsible and you're taking in of political media, you've got to do these things. So that just sounds exhausting to me. But I'm pretty sure that um, when people look at my sports media consumption, they probably think that looks exhausting. I'm just not even aware of how much time I devote to sports media. And speaking of media, there's a thing called social media. And I'm sure that almost all of us can relate to scrolling mindlessly on Facebook, to checking Instagram, tweeting, what are the odd, fill in the blank for the other um, social media outlets. We can relate to spending a lot of time on these things. Now, none of these interests, sports, politics, and social media are bad things in themselves, but it may just be uncomfortable to ask if our interest in and devotion to the scriptures is comparable. Scripture is breathed out by God. We ought to be extremely interested in scripture and wholly devoted to it. So let me try to motivate us here, and I'll begin with a thought experiment. Imagine that God has appeared to you vividly. You can perceive God, all right? He's manifested himself vividly. And you know it's God. It's not just like, like it just seems to you like there's a stranger and he happens to be God. Like, no, like you actually know that this is God who's appeared to you. And very intimately, he calls you by name, and he says, ask me anything. Ask me anything. I bet this would be an overwhelming experience for you, if you're honest with yourself. This would be very overwhelming. What would you ask? I'd probably think of some pretty trivial questions. Um, as somebody who hangs out in a philosophy department, you guys might think that more than half of the questions I ask are trivial. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I have this uh, disposition towards triviality in my question asking. Um, but being mindful of this, um, being mindful of the fact that I might ask silly questions, I'd have to sort through the questions. I'd have to discriminate between the good questions and the bad questions. And once I get, enter into that process, I think I'd find that I just don't even know what to ask. I don't really know what I need to ask God. I don't know what I need to hear right now. And I'm sure that if we're honest with ourselves, this would be the experience for most of us. I mean, maybe there's some immediate need, but setting aside some kind of immediate need, if God just appeared to you and said, ask me anything, I'm pretty sure that if you actually thought about what to ask, you'd find that you're kind of paralyzed. It would be very difficult to know exactly what to ask. What would be a good question? But we can all agree that um, this is a good thing to say to God. Tell me what I need to hear. What do I need right now? I think that if we take a sober-minded look at ourselves, we see that we need better minds. 
We need to think better and to have our minds healed. How many of us struggle with anxiety? We need our minds healed. We also see that we need to be ready. Uh, we also need a better conduct. We need the way we live to improve. We need to do better in our relationships. Really, we need to be taught, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness. That's what we need. And thankfully, we don't have to settle for the thought experiment. God really has, uh, he has given us his word, the scriptures, to learn from God and to get what we need. That's sufficient reason to be devoted to the scriptures, to learn from God and to get what we need. That's sufficient reason to be devoted to the scriptures. We live in an age where God's word is widely available. Do you take advantage of that? All of it is inspired and profitable. Let me give you a specific challenge for this week. Go to a book of the Bible that you haven't read or that you're not as familiar with, if there is one, and if you're familiar with all of it, just go to a book of the Bible and just dig in. See what happens. And if you're, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I actually give you this charge too. Please, go to a book of the Bible, one that you may already have questions about, and just dig in and try to come to terms with some answers. Really wrestle with it. Ask hard questions. Maybe even devote two hours of your week to just digging deep. And use the rest of the week to meditate on the stuff that you covered. Use the rest of the week to meditate on what you covered in that two-hour block. That's just one way in which you can express devotion to God's Word. And it wouldn't hurt to do this with other people. There is an undeniable relational emphasis in our passage. It doesn't need to just be you and your Bible under a tree. Wrestle with the Scriptures with other people. Direct your questions to the people in your life who are shaped by the scriptures, to people who know the scriptures. Look to your elders and be ready to be someone that others can look to. Be ready to be someone that others can look to. As I close, let me ask again the two questions I asked out at the outset. I'll ask these and then I'll enter, enter into some prayer. What are you committed to? Be committed to Christ by sticking to the Scriptures. What is the basis for your commitment? Scripture is our basis, is inspired by God, and it's profitable. Lord, this church is committed to you. Thank you for giving us your word. Your word is what we really need. Holy Spirit, by your power, please give us the motivation this week to be committed to Christ by sticking to the scriptures. We affirm and agree with you that through them we are complete and equipped for every good work. I pray these things to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.